24. And, um, you know, Tim has, has uh, instructed me before. He's been teaching me, you know, you don't always have to be real heavy-handed. And, uh, you know, th- today might be one of those real weighty messages. Uh, everyone remember, uh, first, I'm preaching to myself. I'm, uh, I'm teaching myself and talking about what I need to learn and what I'm going through. And maybe you get in on it. And also, I'm not, I'm not going to beat anyone down. I'm not saying anything to beat anyone down. You, you take these things, and if you're convicted, then go with it. And so, that's what we'll go with. So, um, and I told Emily the other day, uh, secretly, unbeknownst to everyone, I'm in the middle of a sermon series. Uh, you know, my one of my earlier sermons was on reading the scripture. One of my other ones was on prayer. One of my other ones was on fasting. I'm doing the, the building blocks, the basics, the fundamentals of Christianity. Uh, no one knew it, and the sermon series is very spread apart, which isn't how you're supposed to do sermon series. But, uh, yeah, covering the basics, the fundamentals of Christianity, letting Tim teach the the knowledgeable, the nuanced things, the smart things, and I'm going over the basics with you guys. So today, the basic that we're covering is worship. So 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel again. And he stirred up David against them to say, Go count the people of Israel and of Judah. So God's anger was stirred up against Israel again. Um, Anyone who's read the Old Testament, this happens multiple times for various reasons. Um, So God stirred up against them. And uh, when when the Lord's anger burns, he stirs David up against the people. So... David goes to count the people of Israel and Judah. Now, somebody, anybody, why was this wrong? Why might have this have been a sin? Yes, rely on God and disobedience. God told him not to. Anyone else? Right. And so Chronicles is being written at this time, you know, maybe the thought of, hey, uh, King David had this much success. He had this kind of army. No one could stand against him. You know, King David had this. So is David trusting and relying in God and seeing that God has been his victory so far, even in the face of impossible odds, God has supplied him the victory? Or is he saying in this moment, my army size and my kingdom size and my empire size is my victory, my success. God's not my success anymore. And so, even from this verse, before we move on, and obviously we haven't gotten towards worship yet, we're just learning from this verse while we're here. What does that teach you about your victory? About, um, about if this is a sin, do you do it? Do you sit there and habitually scroll through your bank account to see if you're 
provided for? Or is God your provision? Do you trust him? Do you look at your, at your assets, at your house, at your belongings, and at your job and your position and your advancements, and now I'm successful? Or is God your success? Um, it's just something to wonder just while we're here. Again, this isn't the topic of today's message, but uh, all scripture is God-breathed. So what we should learn here is to not boast in our successes and to not uh, obsess over our resources, but to recognize who is our success and who has given us our resources. So as we go down, Joab tries to refocus David, but to no avail. Uh, Joab says, uh, go through all, or no, the king said to Joab, go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the troops so that I can know their number. And Joab replies, may the Lord your God multiply troops a hundred times more than they are. Why, uh, while my Lord, the king, looks on, but why does my Lord, the king, want to do this? But the king's order prevails. And uh, if you continue to read that section, it takes Joab nine months and 20 days. You know, he didn't have a car. He couldn't email it out. He had to get the word out. He had to go travel manually. It took him better part of a year traveling all around. And First Chronicles would tell us he did not count the Benjaminites, I believe, and the uh, Levites because this order was detestable to Joab. Joab was not about this. Um, but he went and followed the king's command. He spent almost a year traveling abroad and um, came back and reported the number to David. So David had time to repent of this. David, it wasn't just a single day or a single week, a lapse in judgment. David had a season of wandering away from God. Quite a prolonged season. Um, he had time to repent and he wasn't going to. He stayed away from God for almost a year. But then David's conscience troubled him in verse 10 after he had taken a census of the troops. And so we know David is a man after God's own heart. David, finally, the blinders are lifted. He recognizes the sin that he's committed and um, he's got to reconcile his relationship with God. David's relationship with God is important to him, and so he's going to reconcile his relationship. I have sinned greatly in what I've done now. Now, Lord, because I've been very foolish, please take away your servant's guilt. So, David, David prays, goes to sleep. But when David got up in the morning, so instantly God had answered his prayers. When David got up in the morning, a revelation from the Lord had come to the prophet uh, Gad, David's seer. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I am offering you three choices. Choose one of them and I will do it to you. So Gad went to David, told him the three choices and asked him, do you want three years of famine to come on your land? Do you want to flee from your foes for three months while they pursue you? or to have a plague in your land for three days. And the plague in your land is, it's the, the sword of the Lord, is basically the translation. So do you want the sword of people? Do you want the sword of the Lord? 
So now think it over and decide what answer I should take back to the one who sent me. So obviously, uh, God disciplines those that he loves. And he's not going to accept this worthless and prideful lifestyle from David. But also, God knows that the Bible is being written. He knows that this is going to teach a lesson throughout all of time, even to us, what happened to David in this episode. And so that's why we need to learn from it. We need to hear it. We need to think on it. Because uh, this is written for a reason. It's written for us, for our instruction, for our benefit, and for our help. So, we'd better learn from it. So, um, David answered Gad, I have great anxiety. Please let us fall into the Lord's hands, because his mercies are great. But don't let me fall into human hands. So David's leaning in on God, trusting God. I'm going to fall into God's hands. I'm, men are cruel. They're merciless. Uh, but God has mercy. And even though I know punishment is coming, you know, I've messed up. God disciplines those that he loves. But still, I'm going to trust. I'm going to lean in to God. So the Lord sent a plague on, on Israel from that morning until the appointed time, so three days. And from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men died. As if to say, how you counted your army, you know, did the size of your army, was that your victory? Then the angel extended his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it. Again, in First Chronicles, the angel has a drawn sword, and he's putting his sword, he's been striking the people, and he's putting his sword to Jerusalem. But the Lord relented concerning the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough, withdraw your hand now. The angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So when David saw the angel striking the people, he said to the Lord, Look, I am the one who has sinned. I am the one who has done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father's family. So God came to David that day, said to him, Go up and set an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. David went up in obedience to Gad's command, just as the Lord had commanded. And so in First Chronicles, it actually records that Aruna himself and his four sons saw the angel. This was, they saw it with its sword drawn towards Israel. They saw that God instructed the angel to sheath his sword and Aruna's four sons, they split. They're gone. They're hiding. And Aruna looked down and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So he went out and bowed to the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David replied, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so the plague on the people may be halted. So before David even left the kingdom, he packed money, he packed provisions with him. There's no credit cards at this time, no writing a check. He intended on buying this full price. 
And if any of you know about kings or monarchs or rulers at this time, of course it would have been easy for David to seize everything Aruna had. Just go down, we're ending this plague, I'm not thinking about anything else. Go down, Aruna, you're gone, I'm taking this from you. But David packed money, he packed supplies, we're here to buy this from you. Aruna said to David, my lord the king may take whatever he wants and offer it. Here are the oxen for a burnt offering and the threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. My king, Aruna, gives everything here to the king. Then he said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. And here's what we're here for. Here's the lesson that we're here to learn. The word for us today. The king answered Aruna, No, I insist on buying it from you for a price. For I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought it, built altars, uh, offered to the Lord, and the Lord answered prayer on his behalf for the, the land. So, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. So, is that our attitude towards God and towards worship? If, uh, if I were to take Emily, so you can imagine the person in your life that you love and care about and respect the most. For me, I'll use my wife as an example. You can use this example for anyone. And I came up, Emily, I love you. I've got you gifts. And it's thrift store grade, rotten. Or, better yet, I've got you a, a pretty nice gift. Here you go. She accepts it. Wow, thank you. I tell her, yeah, I got it free from work. Uh, my boss gave it to me just kind of as a bonus. Well, so I gave her that which cost me nothing. And obviously, okay, cool, you, you gave me something, but this is not special at all. This is, uh, you did not sacrifice anything for this. Um, where is your, where's your money going? Is your money going towards me to prove that you love me? Where's your time going? Were you thinking about me? Well, Guys, God's the same way. God is a jealous God. He wants your time, your resources. You're to love him with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Your strength means your, your abundance, your muchness. So when, uh, when you just say, I've, I've said this before, and I said it after Daniel said it, so really, if he had trademarked it, I couldn't say it. But... Um, if you just say, God's soft, God's weak, he takes whatever I give him, uh, I show up to my only worship is on Sunday mornings, and I show up late, I go to the bathroom twice, I get some coffee, I don't sing the songs that I don't really know, didn't grow up with those songs, I don't like them, I don't worship like that. I don't do nothing, I barely sing, I barely project my voice, I worship uh, What's for lunch? You know, God soft. He takes whatever I give him. And that's the offering of Cain. And obviously, he is not soft. He doesn't take what you, what you give him. Um, you just don't know it yet. You will one day. You'll stand before him one day, and, and then you'll find out, because he's been telling you. 
It's in his word. But I guess it's just going to be a little while before you find out. Your offering to God has to be meaningful, costly, valuable, precious. It has to be fine. It has to be it has to show your reverence, your relationship with God. When I say, Emily, I, I don't have much, uh, but I went in in high school and I bought you an iPod. Here you go. It was so special to her. It's, you know, he went, he's been thinking about me. He's been saving for me. He spent a lot of money. This is cool. But iPods are iPods. I could have bought my own iPod. He gave me that iPod because he cares about me and loves me. Well, do you give costly, valuable, worthwhile worship to God? Or is it second rate, low quality trash that no one in your life would accept? If I was to spend time with Emily and never make eye contact, I'm just going to talk like this. And I, I'm not listening. I don't care what you say. Because God's spoken to us. We just don't care what he says. I'm not, I don't care what you say. But I'm just spending time with you like this. I'm going to the bathroom. Okay. Uh, whatever. I'm back. I've spent time with you, right? I mean, you got to appreciate that. <laughs> and when you say, what a nuisance, which is what we're about to go over, what a nuisance to come to church. It's what a nuisance to go to prayer meeting. It's cold, you know, it's taking time out of my day. This is my weekend, my only days off. Man, I guess I'll go. Yeah. And then God can't say, I gave him nothing. I gave him my Sunday morning. That's worth something. But ultimately, sometimes, based on your attitude, your, your posture, your heart towards God, it, it'd be best if you just stayed home. You know, um, your, if your worship is garbage, second rate, not valuable, not worthwhile, if your wife, your brother, your sister, your mom, if they wouldn't accept that, that kind of attention, that kind of time, then um, God won't. You know, I remember people going off on, uh, yeah, Biden went to this, uh, to this funeral and he was checking his watch. But we go into church and check our watches and like it's lunchtime. Is he going over? Honestly. Good grief. Yeah. It's six o'clock. What are you talking about? Prayer service. I your your body language matters, your attitude matters, your heart matters. Um, don't give to God second-rate, low-quality filth. So, let's flip over to Malachi chapter 1. Maybe some of you saw this coming. Starting in verse 6. Doing a good bit of reading today. Uh, hopefully I don't lose your attention. Again, it's not about me. Your attention on God does matter too, actually. Uh, and that's not about me. If you don't hear a word I say, I am perfectly content. Um, but I don't want anyone here to fall into the hands of an angry God. And uh, he's not soft. 
like some people think. He's full of mercies. He is, he is loving. He is kind. But uh, he's not a pushover. So Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father. And a servant honors his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is your fear of me? Says Yahweh of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Any, any priests in here? We're all priests. All Christians. If you don't know that, you can... Uh, Tim can teach you sometime. Ask him. Daniel, um, you can look that up. Uh, but we are, all, we are all priests. Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? Like, no, you're wrong. We didn't despise your name. By presenting defiled food on my altar, defiled offerings, defiled sacrifices. And you ask, no, we didn't. How have we defiled you? When you say the Lord's table is contemptible. When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Ask the Lord of hosts. And now ask for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor? Ask the Lord of hosts. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will accept no offering from your hands. For my name will be great among the nations, from the rising of the sun to its setting, incense and pure offerings, pure offerings, will be presented in my name in every place, because my name will be great among the nations, says Yahweh of hosts. But you are profaning it when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food, is contemptible. You also say, look, what a nuisance, and you scorn it says the Lord of hosts. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands? Asks the Lord. The deceiver is cursed. The person is cursed. The liar is cursed. Who has an acceptable male in his flock. An acceptable offering to give. And makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal, a defective offering, a defective sacrifice, no good, worthless trash to the Lord. For I am a great king, says Yahweh of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. The person is cursed who has an acceptable offering, but offers defective offerings to the Lord. He's a great king highly to be praised, worthy to be feared. He's a great king. And his name 
will be feared among the nations. Will it just be feared by default? No, it will be feared by us. We're, we're his hands, we're his feet, we're his image in the world. He's placed his image in us. We're to deliver, to be the representatives of God in this world. We're to be his, his liaisons, his, uh, his ambassadors. Our citizenship is elsewhere. So God does not accept wandering eyes, wandering minds, looking at our watches, distractions, saying, what a nuisance, saying, uh, you get it, you get the point. It's not acceptable. So, Look inside, and what gift do you bring to God? The offering of Abel or the offering of Cain? And by the way, the offering of Cain, God didn't say, it's, it's disgusting, detestable, so get out of my sight. No, he said to Cain, I didn't research this, I'll misquote, but basically, if you offer a good offering, will not your offering be accepted? He's, there, there's time, there's room to repent. If you feel God calling and tugging at your heart, there's time to repent. There will come a day when the light goes out, when the oil is gone, when there's no more time to repent. But if you feel the tug on your heart and the call from God, if you're sensitive to Him, then there's time to repent. This isn't a dagger to the heart, you're done. I'm just letting you know you're in the great. No, you can come back to life. You can be revived and go the right way. It's called repenting, turning 180 degrees from what you've been doing and going the other way. It's, it's choice, it's willpower, it's using people as accountability for help, um, but it's, it's the Holy Spirit. It's praying, getting his infilling, because you can't do it on your own. You've got to do it by his power. And obviously, if you have acceptable offerings to give to God, you will be accountable for that. Um, it's like when the, when the widow came into the temple and was dropping pennies into the offering bucket and the Pharisees were, you know, were calling her offering contemptible. Uh, but Jesus loved and accepted her offering. It was what she had. It was a good percentage of what she had. And they had money and resources and they had knowledge, and they had power, political power and sway, um, and they were giving a chunk more money, but really, as far as a percentage of what they have, it was nothing compared to what she gave. Uh, I get the point of what I'm saying. I'm not saying you need to give a certain amount of money, you need to give a certain percentage of what you own. I'm saying your gift and your offering to God does matter. Uh, it does. He takes it seriously, more seriously than you know. And you get the point. I won't hammer it home, jump on it anymore. So costly, valuable, precious. That's what our offering should be. So let's uh, flip to Hebrews 12, 28 real quick and see about... So we've learned about, you know... 
the not so good, the bad. But what should our offerings be? 12.28, Hebrews 12.28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it, we may serve God acceptably. So this is acceptable service to God with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire, a great king, a consuming fire, wields a sword. So, can anyone here tell me what reverence means? What does reverence mean? What's it mean to you? Honor. Yeah? Respect. And so the definition I got... Uh, is deep respect. That's the definition I've got here. So yes, respect, deep, great respect. And what, what about awe? Could anyone define that? Or what is it? What do you think of when you hear awe? Yeah? Amazing, remarkable, but even greater than that. And so the definition that um, I just pulled offline was respect respect mixed with fear and wonder that's the definition i got uh just you know online respect mixed with fear and wonder so we we may serve god acceptably with reverence and awe respect deep respect mixed with fear and with wonder and that's acceptable service to god so obviously we know that worship isn't just singing some songs on Sunday or Wednesday or whenever you do that. Uh, that's a great time of worship and praising God. And our worship team, they're wonderful. They lead us into the presence of God for us to praise Him, lift His name high. I'm not poo-pooing that at all. But if that's it for you, it's not enough. Even if you do a, a, real, a real good, enthusiastic, it's good to worship God then. It's good to actually give acceptable worship then. But even if you do, that's not enough. So what else is, what else is worship? Somebody, anybody. What, what else is worship to God? Helping others, yes. Spreading the gospel, spreading the gospel and praying for others, yeah. Serving? Yes. Sacrifice. Sacrifice? Reading scripture? Yeah. Sharing? So if we're to think of, of intimate relationship, intimate communion with God, alone time, alone time with God, listening, talking, hearing, learning, um, needs to be some intimate time. If if I only had a relationship with Emily that was, that was public out here, and then the second that everyone left, I'm not, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm not talking to you. I don't have to. No one's watching. Um, that's not good enough. Um, we think that God would accept a whole lot more than our spouses or our mothers and fathers or anyone else would accept. Um, but... It's not true. 
So um, a private, intimate relationship with God, sacrifice, service. Uh, so again, I didn't study this. I hate to misquote it, but I'll give you the general gist because uh, I wasn't planning on saying this. But anyway, uh, what did Jesus say? Uh, when I was in prison, you didn't visit me. When I was sick, you didn't come take care of me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. Uh, so be gone. Get out. Well, what are you talking about? When were you any of those things and we didn't do them? In as much as you didn't do these things to the least of these, your brothers, you did so unto me. So the least of your brothers, you visit them when they're sick. That's worship. It needs to be acceptable. That It even counts in your car ride saying, what a nuisance. He's in prison again. Here we go again. I, I'm doing this because I have to. I don't want to. Well, you might as well turn the car around. He's uh, visiting people in the hospital. Visiting people when they get home, helping them. That is worship to God, in case you didn't know. Uh, so you don't have to be a good singer to be a good worshiper. Amen. So, costly, valuable, precious worship to God. And you work out that by yourself. Use your own sal work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, even seek someone else for counseling on that. Uh, if you come to me saying, well, what percentage of my income would I give? And then it's costly. Worship to God now. I don't want to part. Honestly, I don't. Uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, just as you get close to God and fear and reverence Him, start to think, is this gift worthwhile, worth anything? Sometimes I give Emily gifts that aren't really worth anything, and that's okay. I give her gifts that are worth a lot. Uh, gifts that are worth my time and my energy and my effort. I give her, try to give her everything. But sometimes I come home, and I came home the other day and said, uh, it's a little small gift, but my work had Chick-fil-A today catered to us. Here's all of our Chick-fil-A leftovers. It cost me nothing, but you can have it. And it made her smile. You know, you can give gifts that aren't worth anything, so don't get me twisted here. But your life, your relationship with God, he's a great king. He's a consuming fire. If he's a master and a father, where's his respect? Where's his reverence? Where's his awe? Where is your fear of him? Uh, costly, valuable, and precious. Um, and it it's kind of a gauge, a temperature gauge to how much you do respect God, how much you do believe Him. Uh, it does have to do with your faith, with your belief. Do you believe what He says? Do you believe who He is? Do you have faith that He can provide? Um, it is a faith issue. So where is your worship at? Um, so when David counted his army, he was not in respect or fear of God. 
It was in respect and fear, respect of his own self, his own accomplishments, fear of, of other contending kingdoms and armies. It was, uh, it was not considering God at all. But when he confessed his sins and went out to amend his relationship, went out of his way to make a costly sacrifice of respect to God with his worship, this was well-pleasing. And God relented. So go and do likewise. And learn what this means. Learn what it means for you. Alright, thanks.